Last Sunday was Mother's Day, and so I brought a sermon about a woman in the scripture, Esther. But if you recall the Sunday before that, we were in Genesis chapter 5, and we talked about Enoch. So I want to go back to Genesis chapter 5 this morning, and you can see on the screen some of what we're basically going to be dealing with, with the flood and the life of Noah. It's kind of hard to condense all of that into one message, and so this message may be just a little bit different, but hopefully it will be helpful to you. I think it will go along hand in hand with our Sunday School series right now. Uh, we're on Lesson 6 of this first unit today, and it's all laying the groundwork and really been emphasizing that you can trust God's Word, right? Yeah, God's Word is true. Today's uh, Sunday School lesson is how that word has been preserved and protected for us, how God has just providentially preserved his word and made it available to us. But this morning in Genesis chapter 5, I'm going to look at a part of history that affects all of us. Scientists still today are feeling the effects of this part of history as they look at layer upon layer of rock that has dead stuff in it. Fossils, right, is what we would call them. And the history that we find recorded in chapters 5 through 9 of Genesis deal with these things. You see, when you study the flood in the Bible, you really need to start with Genesis chapter 5. Chapter 5 is history. And I know it's one of those chapters that has this guy begat this guy and begat this guy. And if you're reading a newer version, uh, that he had a son and 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 all the names and how long they lived. That is not a chapter that's put in the Bible for you to read in order to go to sleep at night. All right. That's not the purpose. And the older I get, the more important a chapter like this becomes to me. Because the history of the Bible shows me where I came from. It shows me what my background is. And so the Lord lays down history for us in Genesis chapter 5. It extends from Adam all the way through to Noah. And God lays down for us when they had firstborn sons, how old they were, how long they lived, and then they died. And anyone can just sit down and start lining them up. But you see, when I was younger... And I would read chapter 5 of Genesis. I pictured it probably as a lot of you picture it in just reading it through. I saw it as one coming after another. Here was Adam. He had a son, Seth. After Adam, you have Seth. After Seth, you have Enosh. And after Enosh, you have, and that they all just followed each other. Not so. That's not what takes place. When you see their lifespans on a graph or a chart, like it's up on the screen, history changes for you, and you get a more clear picture because these guys didn't follow each other. They lived on top of each other. You see what I'm saying? They knew each other. And listen, the Bible doesn't say that Adam knew Lamech, who was Noah's dad. The Bible doesn't say that, but I very much believe that he did because Adam living 930 years, Lamech, the father of Noah, was born before Adam died. Wow. 
And I, and I have no reason to believe that they didn't know each other. To think that these guys in the same family didn't somehow get together from time to time and talk just doesn't fit into my logic at all. I believe that they knew each other. And, I, and maybe they passed things down through their family orally by word of mouth, or maybe they wrote things down and passed them on. We don't know for sure. But Adam was 130 years old when he had Seth. But he didn't die at age 130. He lived another 800 years. Wow. 930 when he died. Seth had Enish. Enish had Kenan. Kenan had Mahalalel. And all the way down through there to Noah... And when you add up all the years of those listed here in Genesis chapter 5, you come to understand that the flood of Noah's time probably took place about 1,656 years after creation. That's history. God's Word shows us history, and you can trust God's Word for its history. And if you don't trust it for its history, why would you ever trust it for your eternity? How many of you ever got to talk to your great-grandparents? Some of you, okay. I remember my great-grandmother, Minnie Inyard. That's the one that I remember that I actually got to talk to when she ended her up with her life being in the nursing home at Sumner. Great-grandma Inyard, okay? And so it, it's not real unusual to see in the new. Well, we don't get the newspapers often as what, what we used to, but you can remember seeing pictures of four generations, right? How often did you ever see a five-generation picture with great-great-grandparents? Now, they've been out there, but it's rare, okay? But when you look at the history here in Chapter 5... <laughs> and you see that Lamech overlaps with Adam by quite a number of years, it's amazing because you've got to put seven greats in front of Adam's name for Lamech. Hey, great, 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 great granddad. Seven times, okay? Now, what could Lamech have learned straight from Adam? His Great, 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 great granddad. I mean, think about it. Uh, granddad, what was the Garden of Eden like? How did the serpent appear? What did the cherubim with the flaming sword look like when you got driven out? Granddad, can I see your belly? Now, why would our minds go there? Did Adam... Have a belly button, sure. I, I'm one of those who don't believe that he had one. He wouldn't have had a need for one. There was no umbilical cord, you know. For God just created Adam. But what a testimony to everybody else on the planet. He could say, look at my belly. I was first. You know, yeah. So my mind goes to those things, even though the text didn't go there. But Noah, his life just misses Adam. And so all the way from creation to the flood, there's just one break of succession. From Adam all the way to flood. That blows my mind. So when we talk about history, 
It's good to understand that those in the Bible, they, they not only lived it, they understood it. The lives of these men listed here overlapped. These are really years. Adam really lived 930 years. God created Adam genetically perfect. Eve, too. But as you get further away from that source of life, from that beginning of life, you begin to lose genetics as you go through generations. But even down to Noah, you're talking 1,656 years, you haven't lost a whole lot of genetic information yet. But what happens to the age of people after the flood? Oh, diminishes greatly, for sure. And why? Well, for one reason, we lost a lot of genetic information with the flood. How many people were on the planet at the time of the flood? How many is on our earth today? What's the population of the earth? Is it up to 9 billion? Within a few years, but we're, I was thinking 7 to 8 billion, somewhere in there. Okay, what was it at the time of the flood in Noah's time? Well, let's stop and think about this for a minute. Some Bible scholars have speculated that if each family had 10 kids, and that's not, that's not out of reason when you're living 900 years, okay? <laughs> Noah was 600 when he had Shem, Ham, and Japheth, just a little over middle-aged, okay? So <laughs> that was before Big Macs, that's true. But if each family had 10 kids and they all lived 900 years, what would the population be on earth in 1,656 years? You ready for this? It goes through the roof. From two people, Adam and Eve, you could get close to anywhere between 2 billion and 10 billion. There could have been more people on the earth at the time of the flood than what there are right now in our time. There could have been. Okay. So, we never stop to think about that possibility, do we? Verse 4 of chapter 5 says, Adam and Eve had other sons and daughters after Seth. Where would those sons find wives? <laughs> well, they had to marry their sisters. You tell that to young people today and they go all sideways on you, okay? But it's, it's not until you get to the book of Leviticus, a thousand years after the flood, that we're told not to marry close family members. Why? Well, by that time, you've lost enough genetic information that if they continue to marry close family members, there's going to be problems, okay, physical problems. So God laid down a law and said not to do that. Prior to that time, it wasn't an issue. So try to keep in your biblical worldview how things were prior to the flood. There were potentially billions of people on the planet, maybe as many or more than what we have right now, and that's hard, hard to think about. You see... We study the flood in that part of history, but we don't think, th think through things like God grieving that he made us in chapter 6 and verse 6. What does that look like in your worldview? But then it says, but there was Noah. But there was Noah. There was one. One out of potentially billions of people there was one that was found righteous. So how bad was it in that history prior to the flood? Well, it was horrible. 
I think, beyond our understanding. It says in chapter 6, verse 5, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Do we have evil thoughts today? Yeah, we do. Do we have them all the time? Well, I hope not. But this gives us a sense that it was beyond bad at that time. Verse 6, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth. He was done. He was finished. Back up to verse 3, it says this, Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be a hundred and twenty years. Now there are people that read that and believe that means that's how long that man would live, 120 years. Why is that not the case? Why is that not a good interpretation of that one verse? Well, because people still live longer than 120 years after the flood. Abraham lived to be 175. Jacob lived to be 147, I think it was. All right? So what does this 120 years mean? Well, it's the countdown clock. This is the Lord telling Noah, Noah, man has 120 years left until the flood because I'm done. I'm finished. I'm going to wipe everything off the face of this earth and start over. So start building an ark. And so in chapter 6, verse 9, it says, This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Who else walked with God that we've already talked about? Enoch. We talked about that agreement that has to take place. Going to the same destination, on the same path, going at the same pace, okay? Noah walked with God. That ought to be the goal of everybody here, to, to live that way. We live in a wicked world, but I pray that people can look at my life and think, you know, he tried his hardest to be a man of God in the midst of a wicked world. Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, verse 37, that as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And so, as we read down through chapter 6 of Genesis, look what it says in verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. Violence. You know what the Hebrew word is for violence? Hamas. Does that ring a bell? Especially today. Hamas has been the de facto governing authority of the Gaza Strip since its takeover of that area in 2007. During this period, it's fought several wars with Israel. It's regarded either in whole or in part as a terrorist organization by several countries and international organizations, most notably by the United States and the European Union. Is this just a coincidence or an accident? I don't think so. Again, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Boy, I just wonder if, it, if it's how close we are to the return of the Lord. Notice verse 12. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. 
So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So God tells Noah, you've got 120 years to build the ark. We don't know if it took him all 120 years to build it. Some speculate it took 75 to 85 years for him to do that. But what we know is that he did it. He did it. You don't see Noah asking questions. You don't see him hesitating. You don't see him procrastinating. You don't see him making excuses like Moses did when God told Moses to go back to Egypt. He just did it. He built the ark. Now what did the ark look like? Well, as we grow up and we go through Sunday school as children, you know, sometimes I think our worldview that we picture the ark looking like that. You ever seen pictures like that in nurseries and in children's classrooms and stuff? Yeah. And that picture and others like it aren't telling the truth. Because not only are not all the animals there, but you only see one of each kind. And Noah, out there in the front of the boat, looks happy. I'm not on the side that thinks Noah was happy. I believe he was thankful and grateful. But if all that was spared was three of your children and all the rest of your extended family perished, how happy are you going to be? All your friends and neighbors are gone. Would that make you happy? It wouldn't me. And folks, Noah was not going on a cruise. He's not going on a vacation. He's being spared the judgment of God upon this earth. He's being shown grace. Now, was Noah perfect? No. He was a sinner. We have no indication he was ever perfect, but he was found to be righteous. And during that 120 years, he preached, assuming I, I, I would assume that he was preaching to try to get people to repent and turn to God and join him on the ark, but it didn't do any good. But 2 Peter 2.5 tells us he was a preacher of righteousness. There was a judgment coming. It, this was not a cruise. The ark was not some goofy little boat with an outboard motor. Noah was not on the deck sipping lemonade. So many pictures of the ark to teach children, and the animals are almost never in the ark. They're out on the deck or sticking their heads through the windows. And that builds in our children the idea that the ark couldn't possibly have been big enough to hold all the animals. Not a good thing. And if a preacher stands up in front of kids and adults and says that there were dinosaurs on the ark, where does our worldview go? Our worldview goes back to that first picture we saw when we were a kid and And then we're picturing a T-Rex eating everything else on the ark. What does the text actually say about the construction of the ark, beginning in verse 14? It says, so make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you're to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Now, that was the interpretation of the cubit because the ark was to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top or a cubit of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. How many doors? 
One. How many ways to be saved? One. If you ever see a picture of an ark with more than one door, throw it in the trash. Seriously. There's only one way to be saved. Only one way to get in the ark through that one door, and that still stands true today, does it not? There's still only one way to be saved. So Noah begins building, and he completes the ark. And praise God for the organization answers in Genesis and Ken Ham and the full-size replica of the ark that you see here, just south of Cincinnati. How many of you have seen that, been there? Yeah, several of you have. That's great. Now, is that exactly what the ark looked like in Noah's day? Well, we have no way of knowing, but it may have looked something very, that resembled that very closely. And by the way, answers in Genesis use the royal cubit instead of the standard cubit in that construction. Standard cubit, 18 inches, you think of the, from your elbow to the tip of your finger, okay. The royal cubit was about 22 inches or so. So that particular arc that they built is actually over 500 foot long and a little wider and a little taller, okay? Because they believe that Noah may have used the royal cubit instead of the standard cubit. But it may very well have looked like that. So Noah spends the time building it, and I want to throw a thought to you that there's a school of thought out there that says the flood was a local flood. A local flood. If you watch anything about Noah and the flood on the History Channel, that's probably what you've learned, that it was a local flood, not a global flood. <laughs> Use some common sense here. If it were going to be a local flood, why didn't God just move Noah out of the area until the flood subsided? Why have him take the better part of 120 years to build an ark? I mean, what do we do when we hear there's a flood coming? You seek higher ground, sure. And also, if it were just a local flood, why would verse 17 say that everything on earth would perish? In a local flood, only that which is flooded perishes. Go over to 2 Peter in your New Testament, 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 3, and hear what Peter says. First of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desire. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. What coming? The return of Jesus. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and with water. What's he talking about there? Creation. By water also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. How much of it? All of it. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. Which means what? There's another judgment coming upon this earth, and it won't be by the waters of the flood. It'll be by fire. So the flood was not a local event. It was a worldwide event that destroyed every living thing. And Noah builds the ark to, to survive that deluge that was coming. So what starts showing up then? Animals, right? And most people with the knowledge of the Bible would tell you there were two of every kind of animal. 
okay? The reality is, according to chapter 7, verse 2, there were seven pairs of clean animals, a male and its mate. The seven pairs are really important because the Lord knew that, he knew what Noah would do being a righteous man when he got off the boat. He's going to be thankful and offer a sacrifice to God for being saved. So God brought more of those animals. What were the qualifications of the animals on the ark? A male and a female, blood-containing, air-breathing, land-dwelling, or winged. So were there dinosaurs on the ark? Yes, there were. They fit the qualifications of what were on the ark. And what we often forget is that these animals were put on the ark so that they could later reproduce and replenish the earth. They were selected by God so later they would have babies and reproduce. So what are the age of these animals going to be? Pretty young, right? So that when they get off the ark in a year, they're going to be able to reproduce. In other words, you're not going to have these huge grandpa and grandma dinosaurs and grandpa and grandma elephants or grandpa and grandma anything else. Yeah, dinosaurs, from what's been found in the fossil records, are hatched from eggs the size of softballs to the size of soccer balls. They start off really small, but they grow to be huge creatures. And God's Word suggests these creatures walk this earth. In Job chapter 40, Job calls him the behemoth. The behemoth. He's describing a dinosaur. Why don't you see the word dinosaur instead of behemoth? Because the word dinosaur wasn't invented until the 1800s. That word didn't exist back then. And also remember that as far as we know, every creature at the time of the flood was still a vegetarian. Yeah. We know that because in Genesis 1.30, God gave the animals every green plant for food. Man and animals. So we don't have to worry about the foxes eating the chickens on the ark. Or the, the lions attacking the sheep or a T-Rex eating a horse or anything like that. I do believe there were dinosaurs on the ark. Now look at chapter 7 verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. You skip down to verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, do you hear the history coming from that? God didn't say, yeah, there, there was a day the flood started. Oh, no. Very specific. He gave us these details so we would remember history. This is a real event during a real man's life. It wasn't just a story. And so we have the flood. It's recorded, and here's how it starts in verse 11 of chapter 7. The second part of the verse says, On that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened. Those words, burst forth, are the same words used over in Numbers 16, verse 31, where the earth split apart. Same Hebrew words. They mean the earth opened up. What do we call it today when the earth opens up or splits apart? An earthquake. Yeah. And the word for springs, the springs of the great deep burst forth, that word for springs is a word that simply means liquids. 
liquids. It can mean water, but it can mean other kinds of liquids as well. What other kinds of liquid might we find under the earth if the earth splits open? Molten lava. That's right. You see, not only was water coming from the sky for 40 days and 40 nights, but the earth split open and liquids came from the fountains of the deep. Now, if those liquids were volcanic in nature, you would expect to find evidence of volcanic activity on every continent on this earth. And guess what? You do. So the flood came upon the earth. The only ones that were saved were the ones who entered through the one door, the one way. Eight people did that and were saved. And Noah was that one man who in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things that were to come, things that he hadn't seen yet, that's what faith is all about, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, through which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that is according to faith. Faith. We live in a flood of wickedness in our world today and it grows worse day by day. It comes from all around, from places you would never expect and a day of judgment's coming from the Lord and this time you won't destroy the earth with water, but with fire. And the only ones that will escape that judgment and be saved are those who have entered through the one way, the one door, and that's Jesus. There are not many ways to be saved. There's one way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Are you ready for the judgment day? Are you ready? You don't have to answer that out loud, but I hope you answer that inside. Have you entered into salvation through the one way that God has provided? By accepting Christ Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior. And if you haven't done that, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, why not? And why not today? You could do it today. Everything is here. Everything is ready. And you know why God hasn't sent his son back yet? We talked about it Thursday night, didn't we? Small group. Because of you. If you're not a Christian, that's why Jesus hasn't returned yet. God is patient, it says in the scriptures, and it's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's waiting on you. Now, is he going to wait forever? No. No. God didn't wait forever in the time of Noah. He gave man 120 years. Things just kept getting worse. But one reason the Lord hadn't returned yet is he's waiting for more people to go through that one way. If you need to do that today, do it. You can meet me down front as we stand and sing.